Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Bitcoin sinks below 40000 and the world is celebrating because the most successful investors buy when everyone else is selling, and they sell when everyone else is buying. Because cryptocurrency is a risky investment, you as an investor need a fully secure digital money platform, and that's what we give you with My Digital Money, MDM for short. MDM uses unparalleled military-grade cold storage for your cryptos, which is also fully insured. Because this was created by Colin Plume, CEO of American-based Noble Gold, when you reach customer service, you'll be able to understand what they're telling you english spoken here mdm will help you open and maintain your crypto ira so go to their website mydigitalmoney.com digital currency is a new and very speculative market it is risky no outcome can be predicted with any investment is subject to complete loss and not suitable for all investors my digitalmoney.com is really where you want to go to have a safe place to invest you have enough to worry about let us help you set it up and you'll be extremely happy with our service hey everybody dave hodges here host of the common sense show glad you stayed with us through the break we're now in the guest segment of our show and you know we are the show that is freeing america one enslaved mind at a time we're really glad to have you we have an old friend of mine an old coaching buddy, although we never coached together, um, we have been in similar places, both high school and college, and our guest has also been a professional coach overseas in football, and that's his main sport. I coached a little bit of football, just enough to be dangerous and stupid. As you know, I mostly coach basketball, and uh, our guest, Fred Hager, has been looking at, well, shall we say, strategies for maximizing kids' abilities. And some of the facts that he's found are not what you'd find on the beaten path. And that's why we decided to do a show on this. Some usual things you can do to enhance kids' performance, athletically, academically, you name it. It's stuff that you wouldn't necessarily come across in the mainstream. But before we get started, we got to pay some bills. You know, there are three companies here for this broadcast that keep the lights on. One is Noble Gold. And a lot of people are saying, <laughs> I'm still being cautious, but a lot of people are saying that the coronavirus is going to come here and going to wreak havoc. And I do know that federal agencies are meeting. I do know federal agencies are planning. I do know that uh, uh, Acting Director Gaynor of FEMA gave uh, martial law recommendations to Trump, and I was allowed to know a few of them, but not all of them. And some of them include being shut in, shut in quarantines. Are you ready? Well, you need food, water, guns, gold, ammo, medicine, and tools. We can help you with the food, 40% off, and we ask the manufacturer to expand the sale to a larger quantity, so we have both two-week, the emergency kit, and the four-week standard, and you can buy multiples as long as supplies last, because supplies are being strained, they're still meeting demands, but supplies are indeed being strained, 
But this is the kind of company they are. They kept the sale at 40%. There are companies I've seen that are raising their prices because they know times could be tough. That's not what MPS is doing. So how do you get yours? How do you get your 25-year shelf life, great restaurant quality? Go to preparewithdave.com. That's preparewithdave.com. Okay, we've got also, too, the water. We've got the gold. And you really need to have all, because when you come out of a crisis with the food, you really need to have gold. Why? Because gold's the only thing that's going to hold its value. Anything that would sweep the country and put us in mass quarantine or a, an EMP attack, whatever it would be, you really need to have something that people will respect and honor for currency coming out the other side. And there's no guarantee the dollar will. In fact, I'd say the dollar probably won't. It'll hyperinflate and go out of business. Gold and silver have held its value for 6,000 years. They'll convert your assets like an IRA to a gold-backed IRA. They'll also sell you gold and silver directly. This is really, really important stuff to to calculate people because at, at the end of a crisis, people come out the other side and they don't think about planning for the after effect. And gold and silver is the after effect. So Noble Gold can be reached and they'll help you with no pressure. 877-646-5347. That's 877-646-5347. And the link for Noble Gold is noblegoldinvestments.com. Tell them Dave Hodges sent you because they do have specials for our audience. And then finally, uh, <laughs> the Naval War College says on the fourth day of a crisis, waterborne illnesses become the number one killer. Well, we've got the Alexa Pure Pro water filter, so you've got the food, you got the gold, now you got the water. And this can purify water out in the open. You can see standing water and be go, ooh, I don't think I can drink that. And you're probably right, but you could treat it with the Aquapure water filter, and you would be able to drink it in most cases. The research for the validity of this product is at waterwithdave.com. Not going to give you anecdotal testimonials from people. Those are worthless. I am moved by research. As you know, I taught research at the college and university levels. I taught it to graduate students trying to get their master's degree thesis at a university. And so I am ingrained in the research process. And this is what they give you with uh, the AquaPure Pro water filter. And you can see the comparisons. It's incredible. They're also offering a 40% off sale. So this is why we're going with companies and representing them that have quality, but they're not price gouging in times of in, in times of a crisis. And this is why I respect them so much, and you should too. That's who keeps the lights on here. And I think you can see that here at the Common Sense Show, we turn down more advertising than we ever take on. And that's because we advertise for products that we feel that our audience is going to need. Anyway, we're really glad to be with you in this guest sequence. Uh, Fred Hager is an old friend of mine. We've talked on a number of issues a number of times, current events to sports. And uh, we know each other's uh, viewpoints on a lot of areas in human performance. And now it's time to share them. Fred, I'm glad that you joined us. And I know that you've just completed reading a book that really kind of galvanized a lot of things that you and I have talked about in the past. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm, I've coached for a long time, and I've always believed the adage that anyone can be fairly successful if they put their nose to the grindstone and just work really, really hard, and you can overcome anything if you if you if you live by those rules and and all that. And in fact. Um, there is something to them, but the, the very first chapter of this book, Dave, just blew me away. And it, it, uh, it made a point that I, I, I couldn't argue with. It, it really was interesting. They, they show, this book is called Outliers. And it's by Malcolm uh, Gladwell. And um, 
he's a, he wrote the first couple of chapters talk about one of the big predictors on whether or not a, a kid's going to be good in athletics is his birth date. Yeah, and, and you know now, what my first reaction was, Fred? Oh, come on, Fred's not into astrology. Please tell me it's not astrology. Exactly. You know, the first time I read that, I said, what? Birthday? How, how does that have an effect on that? But but it does. And, and if, you, if you look, he... One of the first examples he gives of this is he gives a couple of rosters of a of a junior hockey team from Canada and a Czechoslovakian soccer team, a junior Czechoslovakian soccer team, the the national team actually from Czechoslovakia, and and the rosters are like any other rosters. It's got their names and and their heights and weights and and um, and it's got um, where they were born and what position they play. It also put down their birthdays because. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. And so he said, okay, take a look at these rosters and see if you see anything on the rosters that catches your eye. And I, I looked at the rosters, and it looked like any other roster of any other team I've ever looked at before. And he said, what you probably saw was nothing. He, he said himself he didn't see anything either until it was brought up to him. Look at their birthdays. And so I look at the birthdays of this hockey team, and February, January, March, January, 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 um, it, it goes on and on. All the kids, more than half the teams were made up of birthdays in January, February, and March. And I'm like, that's really odd. If half your team is made up of those, those months, birthdays in those months, what's the deal? Well, it makes perfect sense. These kids, even though they're at, on these rosters, were probably in, in 15, 16, 17 years old. All their lives, teams were, were established based on when your birthday is. They, there's a cutoff date to be on a team, and, and that's January 1. Once you hit January 1, you have to go to the next level. So all these kids, when they were in hockey, they probably started when they were five or six. When they were, when their birthday was in, you know, uh, after January 1, they got on this particular team and they started playing. Well, when you're five or six or seven or eight, the difference between a kid that's born in January and a kid that's born in December can be dramatic, especially physically. A whole year in size and growth gives you advantage as far as how big you are, how fast you are, uh, what kind of agility you have, also your mental development and your social development and all that comes into play. So the little kids that start, or the, the all-stars when they're eight, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, get to play on select teams, get to have better coaching, and their, their, their seasons usually last longer. If they're on a club team, they might play, my daughter, when she played club softball when she was 10, a 10U, she played 130 games her first year of softball. If she had played just rec ball, she'd have played 25 games. Yeah, and, and let, let me brag for you here and tell you how it paid off. Fred's uh, daughter won a state high school championship with a walk-off home run in the last inning. And she went on to play collegiately uh, in the SEC and won a national title and was the NCAA Player of the Year. Did I get that uh, right, Fred? Yeah, she actually won two national titles. But yeah, you got more Yeah, you're right, two national titles, yeah. Yeah, the last one sticks in my mind. I still got that on my DVR. I was so proud of her. Uh, because yeah. I remember uh, seeing you in a copy room with her one day while you were copying materials for the class you were teaching, and you were making her run sprints, and she was four years old. <laughs> yeah. 
I have a real yeah. clear memory. I told the audience, I said, hey, I've known this guy for a long time. But yeah, yeah. and you're right about the advantages of having better coaches, uh, being with more experienced players, and bringing out the best in your talent. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah, that, 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 it blew me away when I first heard, and just like when I told you birthday was a good predictor, it blew me away when I heard it too, but then the, the more I think about it, it makes sense. They, um, if they, uh, they just have so many advantages just, just from that aspect alone. Now, there's other things that play into success. Uh, the, uh, it says outliers, the story of success. There's other things that play into it. But and those are a little surprising. They're not so surprising. The other ones aren't so surprising, but they really make a big difference. Hardly anyone ever makes it all by themselves to greatness. That just doesn't happen. There's lots of stuff plays into that. But um, when I heard about the birthday, it just made all the sense in the world. And there's there's some talk about, and that also is true in school days. And you know that you're a teacher. The kids come to school. September one is the cutoff. And and so September one, September two. If your birthday's in September, um, October, November, you're one of the oldest kids in your class, and you have so much more development. You've got you develop uh, longer than the kids that, like me, a July birthday or an August birthday. You know you're at a disadvantage right from the start, and so those kids end up in this in the uh, the special classes, in the advanced classes in the gifted programs more often than kids that have birthdays in, in, in the late summer and stuff because they're more developed. And so it gives them an advantage. Not only does it give them a chance to expand on what they've learned in class and, and get extra help and all that, but it gives them confidence and gives them this opportunity to start doing some extra things and learn some other things besides just the road stuff in the textbook. Makes yeah. a big difference. No, it, it absolutely does. So let, let's take it from sports just for a second. How could this help a kid academically? And I'll tell you how it hurt me. I'll tell my story very quickly. I turned five years of age on August 11th, and I started kindergarten on August 25th. Yeah. That hurt me. Sure. Sure. That, so, that, uh, yeah, it makes a difference. Yeah, because most of the kids were six months to almost a year older than me. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, so that that definitely hurt me. So how do you see, we we know about the sports, how do you think that can hurt kids academically? Well, you know, development athletically and development intellectually are all based on nature and nurture, all based on their genetics and also on their, their the environment that they grow up in. And, and, and both of those are really, really important. Um, and and the, the guy, this guy, uh, um, Gladwell, talks about that exactly, about how if, if you have, if you live in a certain environment um, and, and you're encouraged, um, then you, you, have, you'll, you'll advance farther. You'll, you'll have more knowledge, be better educated, and have a, a better chance of, of having success in life. Um, uh, he did a uh, read an art about a guy who tested a whole bunch of elementary kids and did an IQ test, and then he took all the kids, the upper five percent, and he started studying them from when they were in first grade all the way through um, through college, and he actually sent people out, interviewed them, and and, and he really kept close track on them, and. And these kids were all basically geniuses. They all had IQs of over 120, 20, 
all the way up to 180 and stuff. They were all really brilliant people. And you would expect the kids that were 180 to be the... We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts and help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here, and we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at thecommonsenseshow.tv, commercial-free, censorship-free, and we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at thecommonsenseshow.tv. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call buryyourgold.com. And what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground. And you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold. Not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to buryyourgold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Did you know that the World Economic Forum now, they in the last meeting they convened, they actually had a water board there with water experts, and they tell us our water is in danger and they have to take control of our water. Does that bother anybody? I'm sure it does. And I begin thinking right now about water safety. And we already know there's lead in the water, chemicals in the water. A lot of it's not safe to drink. But we have the answer for you. It's called the Alexa Pure Pro Water Filter. It's the best there is. And scientifically, they leave nothing to doubt as they publish their research at waterwithdave.com. And it's my choice for water filtration. Gravity powered. It reduces 206 contaminants. It targets heavy metals, fluoride, chlorine, and viruses. It is the best there is in the business. And you can read all the research on this simply by going to water with dave.com that's water with dave.com save eighty dollars for a short time the ones that were the most successful and some of them were very very successful but other than just being the smartest there were other things just as if not even more important than just your intelligence it, it, your home life if you the kids that were from wealthier homes when they would go home. Their parents would have them playing piano, taking piano lessons and, and dance lessons and playing in sports teams and going to concerts and museums and things like that. Whereas the kids from lower income, even though they were brilliant, they never had those advantages. These kids weren't exposed to lots of adults. They weren't exposed to museums and, and, and music and, and athletics and the arts and all that stuff. So those kids that didn't have the same advantages from their home life didn't seem to attain the same amount of success as the kids who had lots of encouragement and uh, lots of experience in their home life. So that played a really big role. You don't need to be the, the 180 IQ, the genius. 
So you're looking to thank someone special for helping you get through the year. Noble Gold has the perfect gift. It's a four-coin set of rare, solid 24-karat gold, Augusta St. Gaudens Lady Liberties. These impressive coins are bullion-grade proofs authenticated by the U.S. Mint. They're changing the current American Eagle design. They're not making any more. Only 20 left. Buy two sets. It'll cost you less than $10,000, and you'll be gifted a free Apollo 11 coin. Discover more. By calling Noble Gold at 877-646-5347. The ultra genius type, the Einstein type, would be successful. You just need to have enough intelligence. And that usually is somebody in the, around the, the 120 to 130. Those people have enough intelligence if they have the right environment that they can be as, if not more successful than the ultra genius. You know what this reminds me of, Fred? It reminds me of what I learned about the relationship between happiness and money. As you know, I'm a longtime psychology teacher, instructor, professor. And and as a consequence, I learned uh, from David Myers, this uh, great researcher from the University of Michigan, who's written tons of textbooks in use by various professors. He did a study of the relationship of money and happiness. And he found that when people didn't get basic needs met and they were in poverty, it did uh, correlate to misery. And he did find that people that had their basic needs met uh, were much happier than those who did not. So money made a difference in happiness levels between the have-nots and the haves. Now, the difference he found between the haves and the people who are super rich, he found that money was not a predictor of happiness between those two groups. So it's kind of like yeah. lack of money can make you miserable, but but a lot of money doesn't necessarily make you happy. And we're kind of seeing this with intelligence, aren't we? Absolutely, absolutely. It's, uh, it's really, really interesting. And, and then the, the next thing he talked about in the book was the, ten, the, the rule of 10,000 hours. And and so while somebody may have to be very intelligent or very gifted athletically, uh, if if they don't have the opportunity, so let, let's say they're really young for their age, and they might be very very good athletes for their age, but compared to the older kids in their class or on their team, they're not quite there. So they don't get a chance to play on the select teams and get the good coaching and get extra games and more practice and stuff. They they are on just rec teams and stuff. Well, they, they don't they don't have as much time to practice. They don't get as much help, and so they never become great. Imagine if we had two sets of teams of the January 1 and the July 1 teams and have a whole different league for both age groups, how they could be. But getting back to 10,000 hours, um, he, he used the example of Mozart. Mozart was, is widely uh, considered to be the most, uh, the best uh, you know, uh, composer of all time, just incredibly gifted, could do everything. But in fact, if you go back and look at the research, he said Mozart was a late bloomer. Now that sounds crazy because he wrote his first symphony when he was like six or something like that. And he was writing music all the time. But the music he wrote when he was young really wasn't that good. He wrote music. He knew about music. His father was a a musician and a a composer and, and taught him all this. But he wrote music for about 10 years that really wasn't that good. It was only good, people only thought it was good because it was a little kid doing it. He was very precocious, you know, and, and, and people thought it was, you know, it was really cool that this young kid was doing it. But the music itself wasn't that great. After he'd been writing music for 10, 15 years, and he put in 10,000 hours of writing, now his music just blossomed and became incredible. 
the music he wrote later on in life was so much better than the music he wrote when he was young because he put in the time. Bill Gates, another example. Bill Gates, when he was in junior high, he went to a, a public school, but it was a very, uh, it was a public school in a fairly wealthy neighborhood, very progressive, and there was a, a, a ladies' uh, club that used to raise money for the school for different things. And one year they raised money and they bought a bunch of computers and put it at the school. So Bill Gates and his buddies, he had some friends, they all started working on this computer and programming and doing all sorts of stuff and, and, and spent lots of time on the computer. There was a teacher at the school that noticed these kids were really into it. And Bill Gates lived within walking distance of the University of Washington. Okay, so this guy went to the professor at Washington and said, listen, I've got these kids, they're really into it. Could I bring them over and show them and, and you could take a look at them and see what they're doing? So he took, them, he took the kids to the University of Washington and he saw these kids were just, they were incredible. They had great skills and they were doing really, really well for their age and stuff. And so he invited them to come in and use, they could get time on computers, just like, a, just like the regular college students, they could buy time, they could get time on those computers. So Bill Gates and his buddies would go there every day after school and spend time programming on these computers. They got so good that at one summer when they were in high school, they hired these uh, Bill Gates and two of his friends to write a program that's still used today. It's still a, a viable program today. And they did it in the summer and they made a little bit of money on it. But Bill Gates was always going there. Now, he would be there until all hours of the night. And his parents would wait, try to wake him up in the morning for school. And they couldn't figure out why it was so hard to wake him up every day. But he wasn't getting home from, from the university until two, three o'clock in the morning sometimes. Wow. So, but he spent 10,000 hours. And the last one that I never thought of, and most people, you know, most people see rock musicians and, and they think, oh, it just comes kind of natural and they're just doing this and that and, and they're, they're good. No, those guys put lots, and those gals put lots of time into it. But the Beatles, the Beatles had an incredible advantage when they first started together. Um, it's pretty famous. That, uh, I think they're from Liverpool. It's pretty, pretty uh, famous story that they would go, they went to uh, Hamburg, Germany and started playing in the clubs in Hamburg. And these clubs were kind of risque, and, and, but anyway, they, they needed music. The music had become so big at that time that this, this uh, guy who uh, booked groups to these different uh, bars and, and clubs and stuff um, would book these guys, and they'd come in, and they'd, they'd have to play eight-hour gigs. They'd go in and they would play in the club for eight hours. And they do this night after night after night, seven nights a week. And, and they spent, one time they spent six months there, seven nights, seven, eight hours a night, seven nights a week for like six months. These guys got so good at stage presence and playing their instruments that they put that 10,000 hours in and then they became you know, the world famous band that they've been in. Yeah, well, what I wonder when I hear stories like this, Fred, is uh, what happens to the other parts of someone's life when they achieve greatness to the 10,000 hours, what suffers? Did you see anything about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, he did talk about that. Um, and um, it, other things in life get in the way. Um, there's two groups of people that, uh, that I was really impressed that they, that they discussed in the book. One was the... Uh, Jewish immigrants, the, the, the Eastern European uh, Jewish immigrants that came to the United States in the, uh, in the late 1800s and early 1900s. 
um, they came to the United States and um, their skills were, because they were Jewish, they were not allowed to own land in Europe. So they had to work in town and they had businesses and they became tailors and they became shop owners and they became all, you know, different city type jobs. So when they got to New York, they have to find something to do. And they noticed that um, for, for some strange reason in New York, there were stores that actually had clothing that you could buy. In Europe, you didn't buy clothing off the rack. You, would, you might go to a tailor and have clothing made for you, but you couldn't buy it off the rack. You had to buy uh, cloth and make your own clothes. So these people saw the, this clothing there, and so they got the idea, well, why don't we start making clothing? We're tailors, we know how to do this stuff. And so they started in the garment business, and the garment district in New York was, at one time, was 100% Jewish. Everyone that owned those, those factories and stuff were Jewish. And, and they worked really, really hard. Uh, they worked 12, 14, 18 hours a day in the garment district doing clothing, and then they would bring stuff home and work on it at home. But when they had children, they started having children that were born around the 1930s, 20s, and 30s. These kids saw the work, the work ethic their parents had. They were there doing the work as well. They, they noticed this. So all these immigrants that came over and, and had these kids around 1930, those kids ended up all going to college because that was important to them for kids to do better. Those kids went to college and became lawyers and doctors and engineers, and, and that's what they did. They became extremely successful, and they were there at the right time. And, and, and lawyers, the, the, the job of being a lawyer changed dramatically when those kids that were born in, the, at, in 1930, uh, when they got old enough to go good through law school, things changed quite a bit 25 years after they were born. So that's one. They that's all they did was they worked in the in the in the garbage district in the factories, the sweatshops. Another group of people, the hardest working farmers, he said, in the world, are rice farmers. And so in 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 Asia, China, Japan, North Korea, and Korea, um, Thailand, all these countries, rice is huge, and the rice farmers, they they. They make the most money, but they also have to work the hardest. They would have, the more time you spent on your rice paddies, uh, fertilizing, watering, leveling, make sure you're perfectly leveling, make sure the plants were planted exactly six inches apart, weeding, doing all that stuff. They worked from basically before the sun came up to after went down, and that's all they did. So their kids, when they, when they immigrated to the United States, they had this incredible work ethic because they'd done all that. So uh, you probably want to make a comment about that. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. That those people had that kind of a, uh, that's all they did. They had nothing else to do. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, here's what I wonder, too, though. And I kind of alluded to it earlier when you uh, started talking about these uh, Jewish uh, uh, immigrants and their success levels based on their work ethic. But like I said, when you spend so much time in one area, other areas can suffer. And and and, and, and I don't think this has probably been researched. I'll tell you it would be fascinating research uh, would be to go through and look at driven people. Those that reach the 10,000-hour threshold, and then how many of human misery factors do they have? Like, does the stress affect their health? Do they have more health effects as a group? Do they have more divorce? Do they have more juvenile delinquency among their kids 
because they're not able to give the supervision due to their time on task. And I'm just throwing these ideas out there as research ideas. I'm, you know, in your work, Fred, I look at the world a lot of times in terms of research. And, and sure. what I'm wondering, are, are there intervening variables that would help better describe these people? Who becomes like this? What are their personality traits? And how, does the, how do these uh, drives for success impact the rest of their lives compared to people who don't meet the 10,000 threshold? That'd make for an interesting study, wouldn't it? I think it would. I, you know, you think about uh, actors and musicians, and you hear about the alcoholism, the drug use, and the suicide rate, early death, and stuff like that with all these you know, different musicians. I'm telling you, if you play violin in a, in a major symphony orchestra, you've sat in a, in a practice room for six, eight hours a day for 10 years before you were good enough to play in that. So th- that's all you ever had time for. So, and rock musicians, they sit, in a, they sit and play guitar all day long. That's all they do. So I think there might be some to that. It'd be very interesting to, to find that out. They, uh, it's funny that you mentioned, mentioned that. In one of the chapters in the book, it talks about this experimental public school in New York called uh, the KIPP Academy, K-I-P-P Academy. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah. Uh, yes, I have. Okay. Uh, and you're familiar that these kids, these kids, they're from the Bronx, and it's, they have a lottery every year, and there's one kid out of 100 gets into the school. It's really difficult. You have to be really lucky. And there, there are no requirements other than you put your name into the lottery, and then you get in. If you get, your name gets pulled, you get in. And these kids, um, they, they went through a, a daily schedule. This one little girl, she was 12 years old, I'm going to try. Anyway, she woke up every day at 5, 5.45 in the morning. The Common Sense Show is proud to be able to bring you some very special deals for MyPillow. For example, they've got half off MyPillow bed sheets, more than half off their slippers, their sandals, their mattresses, their topper covers, women's lingerie. Now, they have extremely great products, as you all know. Ladies and gentlemen, right now go to MyPillow.com backslash Hodges. Use the coupon code Hodges to take advantage of these great opportunities. MyPillow.com backslash Hodges, coupon code Hodges. And she would get home at, after 5 o'clock in the evening. And then she would study until 11 or 12 every night. And then go to bed and do it again the next day. And um, in their school day... Um, their school lasted from, well, I think it was like 7 in the morning until like 5 o'clock in the evening or something like that. It was a really long school day. And, it, it, you know, they spent an hour and a half every day on math, an hour and a half every day on, on English, an hour and a half every day on science, an hour and a half. And then they had every kid in the school was in the orchestra. So at least they had some things going on. And, and they had some other different things going on. But um, it's pretty intense. And these kids go to the school from first grade to fifth grade. And then, like, 90% of them get scholarships to elite private schools in New York City. And 80% of them end up going to college and, and all that. It's an it's amazing success rate. Um, but it, it shows some, um, some school years for some, uh, for, for, like, Japan and for other countries. Japan, their school year is 243 days. Ours is 180 in this country. And there's a group out of Massachusetts that, just like you just said, was real, real big on 
making sure you didn't overstress the kids. You gave them plenty of time to for play and activities and, and time to, to reflect and all this kind of stuff, long summers and all that. These kids in, in China and, and Taiwan and, and Japan, they don't they don't have year, school years like that. They don't have summer vacation. They go to school all the time. And you wonder the success rate by some of these, these countries and these kids in these other countries is really incredible. I, I'd like to see the, the research like you said, Doug, but apparently it's um, – if you really want to be a success, you have to kind of make this kind of sacrifice. Yeah, like I said, but I'd like to know the cost before you encourage your kid to do this. You know, because sure. I, I look at, I'll give you an example, like gymnastics may be the best example. And so you yeah. get your kid in gymnastics and you have tutors and everything because they don't have time for regular school. Or, you know, the sure. Olympic ice skaters, that's another mode. And what I see from that is the kids, except for the kids they work out with, they, they don't have any peer experiences. And you wonder... What's the effect on their social skills and so forth? And the, the, like I said, I, I think greatness is great, and we need great people in America, so we have the best tools, the best weapons, the best technology. But also, too, I look at an individual cost. I want to go back to one thing you said, though. And okay. this, is, this is such a multivariate issue. You mentioned about uh, actors, actresses, musicians having higher substance abuse rates, and you're right, they do. Um, yeah. Back in the days when I was doing mental health services, I worked with uh, uh, addicts, and, and so I, and I read everything I could get my hands on, and that is true. But also I found something else out. If you go into the dream world, and this has to do with brain chemistry, there are some people that remember their dreams readily and some people that don't. And what they find right. with the people that do, they call them thin boundary people. is kind of a, um, a catch-all term. And these thin boundary people tend to be your artists. They tend to be your musicians. They tend to have higher rates of substance abuse and depression and so forth. And they say a lot of it's tied to brain chemistry and the overproduction of some chemicals and the underproduction of other neurotransmitters. And uh, I don't want to get too technical here. I know you know what I'm talking about. But, but, But what I'm saying is these issues here aren't just single cause and effect issues. They're multivariate issues. You know, I think uh, part of the thing is, is in order to do 10,000 hour thing, uh, a person has to want to. Um, there are people who are geniuses who don't really want to do that. And they, use, they, 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 they don't do it, and they, and they don't necessarily become super successful. They're just really, really smart people, and, and they never get their 10,000 10, hours in. Um, I, I know with my daughter... Um, she played club softball from when she was nine years old all the way through high school. And and one of our concerns, my wife and I, our concern was that this is pretty intense. It's year-round, and it's really, really intense. And and um, we were always a little concerned by that. My daughter played multiple sports in high school, which I think made a big difference and gave her, her body a, a rest and a chance to do other things, which is real important. But and, and my daughter also was involved in dance and school and stuff. And so she had lots of other interests. And um, but we were concerned by that. And and but she even I never had to wake her up on a Saturday morning to get to go to a, a softball tournament. I'd knock on her door, Dad, I'm already awake. And she was lying there in her uniform a lot of times with her backpack ready to go. She just wanted to go do it. And I think that's you know when she was watching television, she'd stand there with a bat and swing a, then do shadow swings watching TV. And she was always you know. Um, 
she was always doing something. She just just loved doing it. And so not every kid wants to do that. And, you know, there's a there's a burnout rate. And that's where, you know, the, uh, the Soviet Union and East Germany um, came up with the idea of cross-training uh, because they found that their athletes, by the time they were basically seniors in high school, first year at college, they'd kind of burned out on their sports all, an awful lot. And so they, they found out that it's, it's important for them to do other things as well as just their sport. So they would go out and play soccer a, couple, a day or two or do a couple of weeks of, of tennis or something, something different to give them their, a little refresh, a little, uh, to freshen them up a little bit. And so they're, they're, I, I understand what you're saying. It's, it, you kids have got to want to do this and they have to make a commitment to doing it. And, um, you know, we lost a, a, a great drummer, the drummer from Rush, Neil Perk, uh, passed away this last, last week or the week after before that. And that's what he, he was a drummer, man. That's what he did. And that's, he lived that. That whole, those guys in those rock bands, they just, that's what they do. And they love doing it. So you might not be able to get them to do something different, you know? Yeah, that's true. But I, I think if you ingrain it at an earlier age, you know, for me, I, I look back on my athletic career and I had some moderate success. Um, and, and my dad made me do everything. He started me out with baseball as a little kid, the wiffle ball when I was four and five years of age and also got into martial arts. And I did martial arts for 13 years and it provided me a good discipline foundation. But he had me play football and I played football through high school, had me play baseball and I couldn't hit a curveball to save my butt, but I still played baseball through high school. But I'll tell you what I did and my passion was basketball. I, I'd come home from football and I'd be tired. I'd do my homework, I'd lay down for a half hour, and this nearby military base, the gym was open till midnight, I went and played and closed the gym down. And uh, I did that almost every night. And and so you have your passion, but see, I like the Soviet Union's idea of cross-training, because I got to cross-train. I didn't get the opportunity to burn out, and I think my dad understood that. Yeah. Um, My brother was a very, very fine basketball player, and, and, you know, he would go... Our neighbors had a basketball hoop on their, their, their driveway, and he'd go over there. He'd be shooting there for hours and hours every day. This, this is the famous story about Charles Barkley going down down the street to the park. The lights were on until 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and he'd be down there just shooting basketball, playing basketball by himself. There's nobody there. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> I know, before my dad put a light up on our home basketball court, I used to open the garage in the middle of winter in Denver, and I'd be bundled to the hilt, and I'd be out there shooting baskets as a 9-, 10-year-old kid with the lights in the garage lighting up the basket. And yeah. and, and so, yeah, there there is something that overcomes a person, a passion that takes over, <clears throat> that, yeah. uh, that, that drives one to be the best that they can be. But I also have learned as I've gone through life... Uh, everything in moderation you know very much what the bible teaches very everything in moderation okay so we've got birth date opportunity ten thousand hours were there any other factors that you came across um let's see yes one of um it, it also comes down to opportunity um, you may have a passion to play basketball, but if you don't have a basketball or a, a goal to shoot at, you're never going to be a great basketball player. You've got to have an opportunity. Um, and, and, and this whole book is about 
providing uh, kids and people to have a chance, to have an opportunity to do something that they really want to do and they could be really good at. Um, it's, it's, I'm trying to find the on the last page there was a quote. Uh, uh, let's see. He, saw, he talks about outliers. It's, it's, uh, let's see. It says, um, people sometimes will say, I did this all by myself, but that's not true. It, it requires um, a, a, a web of advantages and inheritances, and some deserve and some not, some earn and some just plain lucky, but all critic, critical to making them who they are. The outlier in the end is not an outlier at all. Somebody who has had an opportunity, has had a chance um, to, to, to do something like Bill Gates had a chance, had an opportunity to go to University of Washington and, and be on their computers. That only happened. You know, all, Bill, Bill Gates and those guys all came around in, 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 in the mid-1950s. Bill Gates, 55. Uh, um, uh, Jobs, I think, is 54. They, that was a, they were born in those days, and I gave them that, you know, that there was an opportunity there. There was, there was no computers before that. And by if you got born in the in, if you're born in the '60s, you know those those jobs are already gone. Somebody else in the '50s figured it all out and was making money on it. That's know? right. I, I think it all comes down to just a, if you if you get if you have a chance to do something if you if you're if you're encouraged and and you have a coach or a teacher or a mentor or a music director or a, a play director somebody who who gives you an opportunity to do your thing and and encourages you and 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 nurtures you, you know, to do those things. There you go. That's that's the thing. Because everyone's got abilities and talents. It's just a matter about using them and getting opportunities. Yeah, this is so insightful, Fred. Um, and it's, it makes people, and I'm sure the audience is having experiences like me. Let me just share you two. I'll share you two experiences that tie into what you're talking about. My parents were determined I was going to be a good student. And I was a good student in grade school. And then all of a sudden, I get hit with this busing order for desegregation. And because you're white, we need to send you to a primarily black school. And black kids come to white schools and all the other races intermingle to try to achieve racial balance. I don't know if you remember right. those programs or not. Yeah, but I was caught up with that in Denver. And I got to go to the infamous Grant Junior High, who I actually love. But I had an experience there, two experiences in seventh grade. And see, I should not have been at the school because I didn't live in the neighborhood. I was bused about 12, 13 miles. And I had this seventh grade teacher named Mrs. Tubman. And she decided with the permission of the principal to engage us in speed reading and other reading techniques. And we spent the whole year doing this and it was my first experience at it. And I went from being, and I, I want to be modest here, a good student to a really good student because I was reading in seventh grade about 15, 1600 words a minute with over 80% comprehension. Uh, and, and that was because of this teacher. And, and then again in high school, they brought in the program when I was a senior and I took it again and I went to over 2000 words a minute. And I'm not nearly there today because you really got to work on these skills. It's kind of like a sports skill. You got to do it all the time to stay at the top level. But that experience in seventh grade changed me as a student. And and believe me, I'm not bragging. I'm just using myself as a testimonial. I graduated fifth in a high school class, 800. I graduated high honors undergraduate. I was number one in my graduate class. And and I look at that and I say, that was my turning point. That was my opportunity. And in basketball, 
I had the same thing. My parents decided they didn't want me bust all the way through high school, so we moved to the suburbs that were outside that federal desegregation ruling, and I went to a high school in the suburbs. And there I encountered Jim Brandenburg, who ended up going on and coaching in college and coached three NCAA teams for the NCAA tourney, a rare feat. Well, I had him in ninth and 10th grade. And Jim didn't just teach me to play basketball, and I became an okay basketball player. Jim taught me how to coach. And it's kind of funny. I met with my old friend, Larry Risk, who was uh, the uh, voted the all-time best player at Metropolitan State College. He came out of my high school, and he was three years ahead of me. And Larry and I got together last summer when I was visiting him in Denver, and he said the exact same words I just said. He said, Jim taught me not only how to coach, because he had a brief stint coaching and did well. He said he, he really taught me everything. He turned my life around in terms of my performance. And you get these people now and then that come along, Fred, whether it's academic or athletic, that turn you on your ear and point you in the right direction. So the opportunity, you said it too, with Bill Gates. What if he had not been next to that computer lab? We wouldn't have Microsoft in the form that we have it today. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I just found a, a quote that I was kind of looking for in the book that I think is, it was at the very end of the book and explains exactly what, uh, what what the whole outcome of this thing is. Everything we have learned at Outliers says that success follows a pres- predictable course. It is not the brightest to succeed. If it were, um, anyway, uh, for success, simply the sum of the decisions and efforts we make on our own behalf. It is rather a gift. Outliers are those who have been given opportunities, who have had the strength and presence of mind to seize them. There's a key factor right there, seizure opportunities. For hockey and soccer players born in January, it's a better shot at making the ulcer team. For the Beatles, it was Hamburg. For Bill Gates, the lucky break of being born at the right time and getting the gift of a computer terminal in junior high. Um, so they were born at the right time with the right parents and the right ethnicity, were allowed them to, which allowed them to practice takeover law. I'm talking about the, um, the, the, the Jewish... Uh, kids from the parents working in the garment district. And anyway, it's, it's, it, it all comes down to having a mentor or having some, getting a, some sort of break that just that spurs your passion and, 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 and that you seize that opportunity. And that's what it's all about. You know, it's uh, interesting you use the word mentor. My dissertation mm-hmm. you know, was in on resilience. And what were the factors that comprised resilience? And in every study that you have, everything that led up to the research I did, said that having a mentor who could guide you and help you accept your mistakes and not let them crush you, but teach you to use those mistakes as a springboard to better performance and knowledge was absolutely yeah. critical. And and I see that all the time. Um, and and uh, I just saw this in the world of sports. We have a really good player here. He's ignored. He's off the radar because the team's been so bad, but he's Bitcoin sinks below 40000 and the world is celebrating because the most successful investors buy when everyone else is selling, and they sell when everyone else is buying. Because cryptocurrency is a risky investment, you as an investor need a fully secure digital money platform, and that's what we give you with My Digital Money, MDM for short. MDM uses unparalleled military-grade cold storage for your cryptos, which is also fully insured. Because this was created by Colin Plume, CEO of American-based Noble Gold, when you reach customer service, you'll be able to understand what they're telling you english spoken here mdm will help you open and maintain your crypto ira so go to their website mydigitalmoney.com 
Digital currency is a new and very speculative market. It is risky. No outcome can be predicted with any investment. is subject to complete loss and not suitable for all investors. MyDigitalMoney.com is really where you want to go to have a safe place to invest. You have enough to worry about. Let us help you set it up, and you'll be extremely happy with our service. The great player of the Phoenix Suns, his name's Devin Booker. And he's as good as any guard playing the game today, and I mean any guard. And, uh, and okay, do I have the credentials to say that? Well, I was an NBA scout for two years for Quantified, so yeah, I'd say I do. He is as good as anybody out there. He got snubbed on the All-Star team because his team hasn't been 510 years. And, and Devin, I think, is in his sixth year, uh, and he's leading the league in so many different categories, it's unbelievable. But his mentor was uh, Kobe Bryant. And and he was at camps and 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 Kobe was his idol, and I watched after the Kobe Bryant tragedy and the Suns played their first game, and they showed Devin uh, Booker just in absolute tears, just mm-hmm. crushed and devastated, and and I thought, oh my gosh, there's the mentor part of resilience because how does Devin Booker go out every night on crappy teams and play as well as he does? Because he has resilience, and where yeah. did he get that work ethic? from his idol, Kobe Bryant, who was yep. notorious for great work ethic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and he's lucky to have a mentor like that. I mean, obviously he's taken, he sees the opportunity to be an NBA basketball player. And he's probably worked his tail off to be as good as he is. I'm sure he's got lots of athletic gifts and stuff, but it's, he worked his tail off and he's got a mentor like, like Kobe Bryant to be his mentor to, to help him through these tough times and stuff. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the deal. You know, imagine if we, if we, if we did do that, uh, to have two hockey leagues, one, one in January 1 and one July 1st. Think of how many more hockey players, great hockey players, there, 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 would, there would be in the world, or baseball players or whatever, musicians or, you know, physicists or whoever. If we had those opportunities and there was somebody there to mentor and help these, these people, wow. It'd be really good. It makes That's, a big difference in our world. Well, that would be a good uh, PhD dissertation topic. The correlation between uh, a team's birth dates and um, uh, success. I remember you were saying on these uh, teams that um, it was like a two to one ratio that. 25% yeah. of the total participants or 50% of the total participants in all-star teams were of those three months, first three months, when you would only expect 25% through random draw. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. He, he mentions that. It, it, it doesn't make any sense, you know, statistically, but it's there. It's because that's the way it really is. Kids, you know, I, if I had to start a college, I think, you know, I played football in college. If I had to start a college, Two or three years later than I did, I'd have been much more mature physically. I'd have been a much better football player. Now, I don't know if I'd ever have a chance to play, you know, in, as a pro or anything like that, but I would have been better because I would have been stronger and more mature. Um, we had talked the other day about, you know, in Texas, they, they hold kids back in eighth grade, so they'll be a year older when they high school. Yes. And there's definitely something to that. Well, there's a reason why they do it, and it's why coaches in college redshirt players in basketball and football to give them the extra year of maturity. And when I was a college coach, I did the same thing, and I'll tell you, most of the time it worked. So, Mm -hmm. uh, what, Fred, tell people the name of the book and the author again. 
Yeah, okay. The book is called Outliers, The Story of Success, and it's written by Malcolm Gladwell, G-L-A-D-W-E-L-L, Malcolm Gladwell. And uh, it, it's, it's a... I got this, my brother-in-law gave this to me for Christmas, and it sat on, it sat on, sat on the shelf for about a month after Christmas, and then I, I thought, you know, I'm going to start reading again. So I picked the book up and started reading, and I was just like, I couldn't set it down. It was just, wow, this is real, was really interesting stuff. So I would highly recommend it. Yeah, well, being a coach and a teacher that was right up your alley, and, and oh, yeah. we were actually talking about other things in a, a personal conversation when this came up, and I said, man, this is fascinating. This would make it for an interesting show. I think my audience would like to hear this. And uh, we'll, we'll find out from the ratings, but I have a feeling they will. Well, Fred, we're just about out of time, and I want to thank you so much, one, for serendipitously bringing this up to me, because I'm now going to get a copy of the book and read it. But uh, secondly, I thought this was useful for two old coaches to come on here and two old educators as well to share this information. So thanks for joining us here on the Common Sense Show. You're very welcome, and thank you so much for asking me, Dave. It's, it's, great, to, it's great to talk about this and visit with you again. Yeah, it really is. And to everybody else, hey, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Hope you enjoyed the show. Bitcoin sinks below 40000 and the world is celebrating because the most successful investors buy when everyone else is selling, and they sell when everyone else is buying. Because cryptocurrency is a risky investment, you as an investor need a fully secure digital money platform, and that's what we give you with My Digital Money, MDM for short. MDM uses unparalleled military-grade cold storage for your cryptos, which is also fully insured. Because this was created by Colin Plume, CEO of American-based Noble Gold, when you reach customer service, you'll be able to understand what they're telling you. English spoken here. MDM will help you open and maintain your crypto IRA, so go to their website, mydigitalmoney.com. Digital currency is a new and very speculative market. It is risky. No outcome can be predicted with any investment is subject to complete loss and not suitable for all investors. My digitalmoney.com is really where you want to go to have a safe place to invest you have enough to worry about let us help you set it up and you'll be extremely happy with our service we at the common sense show have a great tv show we bring in a panel of experts and help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in because what once was coming is no longer coming it's already here and we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future you can find us at the common sense show.tv commercial free censorship free and we're getting five star ratings on the world's major platforms again check us out today at the common sense show.tv Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call buryyourgold.com and what it does is it goes into a container you lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches it's a 50-year warranty on the device it only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground and you can keep it for safekeeping and i'll tell you this is the way to hide your gold not in false walls but underground will be very very difficult to detect to find out more Go to buryyourgold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee.